You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on tap. The Carolina Panthers are finally in the win column. It's been a long time coming, 315 days to be exact, since the Panthers won a football game more than a year since they won at home. Fittingly against the Saints, Bryson, it fucking feels great, man. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a tradition that the, the Panthers beat the Saints at home every year now. Um, last year was kind of the same game with the – the way the the script went um, and the Panthers looked great. So it felt good to finally get a win. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. I mean, there was, there was things we'll talk about, but it's good to be smiling on one of these podcasts we record because we have been depressed for a very long time. Well, we have a part-timer joining us this evening. <laughs> Might as well give him a spot on the show. Panthers culture. We know him as JJ. He's a busy man. I've been trying probably the last month to get him on. He finally got us booked, put it in, put it in his calendar. JJ, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you guys, man. Hey, yeah, I, I have been busy. Um, that's no lie. I'm an old man and I have kids and <laughs> the kids are in sports right now. Volleyball and football has kept me busy. Volleyball season just ended last night. Team went undefeated, by the way. Hey, congrats, uh, but, man. But football season is still going on, so – um, I, I have to continue with that, but this is the first time I didn't have volleyball practice or volleyball game or anything for a long time on a Tuesday night. So, uh, thank you for being patient. I've been waiting to get on, but you picked a great week, you know, after a win to get on because my spirits are up. So, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the conversation because, because I've been pretty depressed, you know, the last two, um, the, the previous two weeks of the season. Yeah, before we get into the recap of the game, we do have a guest joining us in about a half hour or so, Arizona Cardinals reporter and host of PHNX podcast, Bo Brock. He'll be joining us again. That's about a half hour away. But let's get into the game this evening, and I'll start with you, JJ. How are we feeling after the first win? I feel relieved. I feel relieved. I think that's the best way to put it. And I feel relieved because the team didn't play great. But when I looked at the schedule before the season, I felt like we could beat the Saints. And I actually felt like we should have beat the Giants and the Browns, you know, just based on the schedule. And so to go into a game, I felt like we could and should win and actually execute and win, albeit not pretty. <laughs> um, I I was happy to walk away from a game that I felt like we should win as a winner. And, and so, yes, I think relief is the, the best feeling I have. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the most appropriate description of the feeling I have. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to criticize. I'm sure we might you know, be able to go into that a little bit later. Um, but for me, you know, the guys found the way. I see teams win ugly games every Sunday, you know, Thursday and Monday. And I think it's okay as a Panthers fan to accept that you that you had an ugly win, and and so uh, you know that's the the feeling I want to stay in because I think we can 
take that win and roll that into another win this coming Sunday. So that's why I'm feeling good. I'm feeling relieved and a little optimistic. Um, I was optimistic to begin the season. I lost a little bit of that, and now it's coming back again. And so um, so I want to see if we can get to an even record coming Sunday. But relieved. Relieved is my feeling right now. Bryson, you got a chance to watch the game with your brother, big Saints fan. I'm sure that was a little that was a little bit of joyous there for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was having a good day. He was not uh, so much having a good day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with JJ. Relief is, is a good way to put it. Um, obviously, you know, nine losses in a row is not anything any fan base wants to go through. So for, for the team and Matt Rule to, to get the win and kind of get that the, the streak loss uh, from hanging over their head, uh, I think, is very important. And this team can kind of get their thoughts together for the next week and and move on and focus on stacking some wins, which is something that we haven't seen in Carolina for a while. So uh, I think the team feels relieved. I know fans feel really relieved. And uh, let's just see if they can continue to to put a show on like they did this past Sunday. Yeah, um, I went to the game on Sunday. It was finally – an awesome feeling walking out of that stadium. We talked about this time and time again, going under that overhang, listening to the drums and actually cheering and being excited and celebratory. Um, I do want to clear up a tweet I had. It might've been a little alcohol induced, but I, I, call, I called out Panther fans after game. I said, Panther fans are pathetic. I was literally having to beg people to celebrate. It almost seemed like <laughs> fans forgot how to celebrate a win. Um, I was, I was trying to start, keep pounding chance after the game, walking down through the escalator, let's go Panthers. I literally could not get anyone. I mean, it was like crickets and I was getting very pissed off about it because I wanted to be happy in that moment. And fans were just like, it was just dead is, is like going out home after a loss. Um, yeah. no, I know when it's a loss, you hear the, the opposing fans. Well, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Right. Like, but the yeah. Panther fans are quiet. So right. like. That drove me nuts. Um, I probably looked like an idiot. I probably looked like that, like, drunken, annoying fan. But I was seriously very pissed off about it. I was heated. Um, I was calling people out. I was swearing a little bit, too. Um, <laughs> almost lost my wedding. Right? I mean, it was all thing. But, like, I was – I wanted to be happy in that moment because we haven't had that for so freaking long. So, if it happens this weekend again, show up and show out and cheer when they freaking win. So I know that wasn't everyone in the stadium. It's just where I was at. That did leave a little sour taste in my mouth, but I wanted to get that out there. Let's focus on the game a little bit here. Um, kind of what went right, what went wrong. Um, I kind of wanted to start with Derek Brown because he's gotten a lot of flack. Um, and and a, a lot of it's been deserved. Um, he's been quiet. Again, he doesn't always show up on the stat sheet um, being the big guy in the middle, but he played an outstanding game this week and he came off a pretty damn good game last week. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk and chatter on Twitter about is he a bust, isn't he, that sort of thing. But I think we need to pump the brakes on him. He played really well and for a 300 plus pound man to get a one handed interception, um, pretty damn good. Um, for a player like that. And he has been the push up the middle these last couple of weeks has been pivotal for this team in the run game and or against the run and against the pass. Yeah, I think uh, 
I, I've been very vocal on my displeasure with uh, Derek Brown, and I will be the first to admit that he has proven me wrong this season. I, I thought coming into this year that we needed a lot more from him, which I think was fair um, <clears throat> from his first two seasons in the, in the league. He kind of hasn't really shown to be worthy of that top 10 pick that he was. But so far, you know, through three games, especially last game, Derek Brown has has made me eat, eat my own words, man. He's he's really showed out. I think Pro Football Focus has him as a has the ninth ranked uh, defensive tackle in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, he's he's just taking care of business. He's the interception is is just a cherry on top, but the the rush defense, um, you know, pressure, uh, getting that push in the middle in, in the pocket for opposing quarterbacks is very important. Quickest way to get to the quarterback. So I think um, just he's really taking an extra step. And I know JJ, uh, I saw JJ's tweet about it and I'm sure he'll get into it, but yeah, I mean, Derek Brown, uh, I mean, I am impressed and I'm, and I'm done criticizing him. I just hope that he, he can do this consistently. I think that's probably been his biggest issue is that he's had flashes here and there, but if he can continue to, to put on tape what he did this last game, I mean, people are going to be talking about Derek Brown as one of the top defensive tackles in the league. So as a Panthers fan, I hope, I hope that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I'm glad that you brought Derek Brown up because I guess it was back in June. I believe it was June. Um, I went to his his camp. So Derek Brown grew up probably about 25 minutes from my house. And he went to high school there, um, Lanier High. And he put on his, uh, his camp like a lot of the players do in the summer. So I took my son there to participate in the camp. But, you know, I had opportunity to to talk to Derek. Um, I talked to Gross Matos, Brian Burns, and and uh, one of the rookies. I can't even remember his name, but he got cut. Um, but he was a defensive lineman, number ninety one. Um, great guy, by the way. I just can't remember your name, guy. And um, Drew Jordan what was that Drew Jordan? That's him. Yeah. So it was Drew Jordan. So it was Derek, and 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 Drew Jordan was there with. Um, Eter Gross Matos and, and Brian Burns, all of them are you know, phenomenal guys. Um, even had Troy Pride, you know, had some time to to speak with him about where he was at in his rehab and and what he's looking forward to doing going forward. Um, but Derek, we on Derek. I actually, you know, was able to ask Derek about, you know, if he saw tweets and the negativity on Twitter, you know, about him, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know why I had the audacity to ask that question of him at his event, you know, but, you know, but he was being very personable. And so, uh, so he just, he, he basically looked at me, you know, and we were being pretty lighthearted, but when I asked him about that, he looked at me and he, and, and you see, he has a pretty, you know, mean face, you know, when he get when he gets serious, he's like, they're going to see. And I was like, oh, okay, bro. You know, and he said, they're going to see. He said, they're going to see. Just like that, they're going to see. And he just walked off. And, you know, I was like, you know, sometimes people can say stuff and you're like, all right, you know, I mean, of course, you know, they're going to see. But I saw it in his eyes, man. Like, he took that personally. Like, he does pay attention um, to what's being said. And for, for a few people, if you're listening, some people have tweeted things about Derrick Brown. And he would actually like a negative tweet about him. In years past, I have, seasons past, I've seen him like people, like, like people's tweets when they have tweeted something negative about him. So I think he uses that as fuel. And, um, and this is the one thing that I want to say about Derrick Brown. I've been high on Derrick Brown since pre-draft 
um, I guess that was 2020. Um, he was at one point viewed as the number two defensive player in that draft. And some people didn't think he would get past, I think, the Giants in that draft. Uh, and so, you know, we didn't know what would happen with the quarterbacks. In hindsight, Justin Herbert was the steal of that draft. Um, I was happy to get Derrick Brown where we got him. I think because he got drafted so high, though, a lot of people had these expectations that he might come in and be like an Aaron Donald type disruptive defensive tackle, accumulating sacks and and just creating that kind of production. And and you're right, Bryce. It has taken a while for him to get consistent. Um, I think he showed flashes in his rookie year. I think KK going down early really hurt him um, because I think too much was put on him too early to be that guy on a bad defense. Um, and so when he struggled, everybody wanted to focus on the first round pick, right, and his struggles. Um, going into year two, I think it was some of the same. They went and got um, Daquan Jones, put Daquan beside him. And I think folks felt like, well, now you have a solid D tackle beside you. It's time for you to ramp up the sack numbers and stuff. And I think the reality about Derrick Brown is that he's just not that sack guy, right? He's not going to get you double-digit sacks. He may not even get you five-plus sacks. I think you have to focus on the stuff that Derrick does really well, and I think he's always been pretty good at stopping the run. I've seen him get manhandled twice in the last two seasons. Uh, last year versus Dallas, I think, playing against Zach Martin, I believe it is. Martin did a number on him, but he's an all-pro type of guard. Um, I think game week one this year, I saw Teller, you know, get into him a, a few times. I think Derrick's biggest issue that goes against him is that he sits with five, right? And so these guards are strong as the defensive tackles are. But when they can get under you, they can make you go whatever way they, they want you to go. And I think Derek, I think if he gets too high, I think the defense, the offensive linemen that are really good at their jobs, I think they know how to move him and, and, and push him around. And sometimes you see him lose his footing. And um, so I think what he's done this year to kind of offset that is he's tried to stay low. And Teller, I think, knew he was trying to stay low. And Teller, there's a play in, against Cleveland where Teller's just ripping down to the ground. And so Panthers fans, you know, obviously they go and seek out the negative tape. And then I saw that be tweeted out. And everybody's like, oh, that's Derrick, Derrick Brown looking like trash again. I want to say this about Panthers fans. And it kind of goes back to what you said, Curtis, about you just won a game on Sunday and you were afraid to celebrate it, right? Just didn't know how to feel good about the win. I think Panthers fans, and I'm guilty of it to an extent too, but when these guys are young and they're the guys that we drafted, I think we have to be patient with them, man. You know, like every other franchise, you know, gives their guy a rookie, you know, at least a rookie, you know, at least a year or two to develop into something great. Our problem is that we draft these guys high because we suck. They get put into bad situations sometimes. And because we have nothing else to root for besides the high draft pick that we got, we want them to be great out the gate. You know, we don't give them like they, they get five year contracts, first round picks do, you know, four years in the in the in the um in the fifth year option. And we don't allow them, you know, two, three seasons to become who they were drafted to be. 
the reality is these guys get drafted. They're like 21, 22 years old. They're playing against 28, 29-year-old men. And we think that they're supposed to go out there and play on the level as these seasoned vets, you know, who are really good, you know, technicians at their job. And so it, the, the thing here is just we're fans of the Panthers, right? These guys get drafted to be Panthers, whether we, whether or not we like the, the coach or the people that, you know, that are so, um, entrusted with developing them. You know, that's another thing. But stay with the guys, you know, stay with the young guys that we drafted high, you know, wish them success because their success means that, you know, we're going to be a better team. You know, I think it's crazy to to get on the Twitter every day and berate coaching staff and, you know, the deficiencies and all that stuff. But at the same time, I spent the player that was drafted to outplay the coaching and the development. You know, so you can't have it both ways. You got to pick a struggle. And so you know, I choose to allow these guys to, to develop, you know, Matt Rule, Phil Snow, initially Joe Brady, now Ben McAdoo. Um, that first set of guys, they didn't have a, a big track record of, of developing pro guys, you know. And so I think they're learning to do that. Um, I think the players, you know, this is the only pro staff they've ever been around. So, you know, it's, Derek Brown is an example of patience pays off. And, and so it's good to see that people are recognizing, you know, who he is and, and he's recognizing who he is and what he can do and he's confident. But going back to that 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 camp, you know, that they going to see that has stuck in my mind, you know, ever since he said it. So it's good to see him actually, you know, pay, you know, to show that he meant it, you know. And so I just think he's going to get better. I think the sack production is going to pick up. But pay attention. When we go into obvious passing situations, the third and long situations, Derek Brown is rally on the field. And so it's going to be hard for him to be a big sack guy when Phil Snow likes to get lean on passing downs. And so um, so we may not ever see him have those big-time sack numbers. Um, but if he gives us what he's been giving us against the run the last two weeks especially, I'll take that. Guys, I want to – we'll get into the offensive struggles here shortly because that's – I think I feel like we need to touch on that because that's been something that has been kind of – non-existent the first three weeks but other than Derek Brown who has impressed you guys and I'll Bryce and I'll start with you one guy that's impressed you within this first three games of the season uh how about the fourth ranked corner in the league right now uh per pro football focus and that's JC Horn um I mean we knew he was good uh I didn't have any doubts about that uh you know played last year with an injury that took him out for after only playing a couple games last season but uh, J.C. Horn has been a true lockdown number one corner. Uh, he was graded at a 92.6 last week, uh, second highest in the NFL, only behind Jonathan Jones. So I think he's just been so impressive. One, in, in the run game tackling, he's a very physical corner. Um, I think the interview with Brian Burns that Will Kunkel did uh, really explained a lot about J.C. Horn and his, and his attitude that he has towards the game and that J.C. Horn can – uh, hypothetically get beat deep three times, but he's going to come back. He's going to line up against you that on that fourth time. And he's still going to talk shit to you. And he's still going to say that he's better than you. I mean, that that's just the kind of alpha corner that you need on a defense that we haven't had for, I mean, Dante Jackson talks shit, but I mean, Dante <laughs> Jackson hasn't really backed it up per se, like JC Horn has through the first three weeks of the season. So uh, JC Horn is just, 
he's exciting. I mean, I can't remember the time that we've had a corner like J.C. Horn, uh, maybe Chris Gamble. I mean, it, it, it has, it's, it, it's been a minute in Carolina, and uh, I'm really impressed with J.C. Horn, and I'm very excited for the future. Yeah, and he he's just scratching the surface. We are Absolutely. just getting a taste of what he's going to be about in the NFL. I would go with Frankie Lubu. I've loved this guy ever since they picked him up from New York. The guy's a menace. He really is. That strip sack he had this past week on Kamara, beautiful play. He had a near interception last week, should have probably been a pick six. He's second in tackles on the team all over the field. Um, just, I mean, this guy – the way his style of play, I th- these are the type of guys I like to see on the Panthers defense. Not afraid to hit someone flying around the field, sideline to sideline, making plays in on every play. I love everything about Frankie Louvu. Um, since you t- you stole my guy, Kurt, um, I'm gonna go with Xavier Woods. Yeah, and one. and the reason I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him is because it's not for the flash plays that he's made is because we haven't seen him miss on plays, right? You know, we haven't seen him look bad in coverage. Um, He's a sure tackler. Um, Everything that they said about him, you know, during training camp, you know, is showing up. They say he's a great communicator, you know, on the back end. And I think even though we can't hear him, (laughs) I, I think you can see that the back end is pretty tight. I hate in that first game um, where, where, uh, CJ Henderson, got beat deep and went and did the pass interference like Woods was going to get that interception he got the interception yeah um and so but he was going to get it regardless and so I wish Henderson wouldn't have done what he did because Woods was going to come over and make that play and although there was a lot of reasons we lost that game I think no they eventually scored a touchdown after that penalty you know I think it took them down to like the two-yard line or something um that's the difference in the game right you know, they don't give up that big play because I believe that was third down. If they don't give up that big play, he gets that interception, we get the ball, you know, we have a little momentum. I think that would have set the tone for the day. And um, instead, it went the other way. So, Xavier Woods, you know, has been everything as is, is advertised. Um, I didn't see him as a star safety, but I've always been the guy that appreciated experience on the back end, having chin you know, be real young at that position last year. Um, I think we got exposed when other guys were playing beside him and they, he had nobody to really coach him out there. I think Woods is really good for Jeremy Chen and gives Chen freedom to do the things that that he did. Like that sack last week was pivotal, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, it was like you guys aren't going to come back, right? And so, but I think all of that is created by having Woods on the back end. So Xavier Woods is my guy. And yeah, I think, well, I, I think one thing that stuck out is uh, about Woods, uh, since you brought him up, is that Matt Rules mentioned him a lot in the pressers and even mentioned that, like, the idea to have uh, Ioannidis jump off sides to give them a fresh set of downs and uh, it, to, you know, have a better chance to get the ball back quicker uh, with more time on the clock. Uh, I think that having that – veteran leadership in that secondary with the knowledge of football that Xavier Woods has is just something that you can't, it can't be replaced. And I think that, like you said, he hasn't shown up as a deficiency. And with that knowledge that he brings, it's just something that we haven't really seen in the, in that safety room for, for a while. Cause we normally have veterans that, you know, do lack in coverage or that uh, do get exposed here and there. So um, another just 
great piece for that defense. Yeah. yeah, one more one more thing on defense, and then we can jump to offense before we have our guests come on here. Is I felt like they played a lot looser this week than in the the last the previous two games. It seemed like they were flying around a little bit more. Phil Snow, I think, kind of let the gates open. It almost seemed like they weren't tied behind their back, hands tied behind their back. Just the players in general, I felt like they called a pretty damn good game there. But let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Let's start with Baker. We'll get to the receivers, but let's start with Baker. We've all been banging the drum for him. We all wanted him here. What is going on with Baker Mayfield? JJ, I'll start with you. I think Baker is pressing. I really do. I've been a Baker Mayfield fan since he was at Oklahoma, right? And I've never been able to explain it but he's just been my guy, right? You know, and so when I look at, you know, his play across the years in the NFL there in Cleveland, you know, he's always been a little up and down. I've seen, you know, games, you know, where I've seen him have bad footwork and, you know, bad fundamentals, you know, but, you know, in those games, you know, it's like, you know, like a brain fart moment and he kind of gets it together, you know, and strings together some throws and you're like, okay, that's Baker, right? And he's done that in the first three weeks here in Carolina, you know, to where he has the big moment where he threw the, the, the missile, you know, to Robbie, you know, in the first game. And then last week, you know, that, that route, you know, that he got to DJ in the end zone, you know, was like, okay, that's Baker. Right. And then, you know, this game, he really didn't have that moment. And I'm, I would say out the gate, I am disappointed in what he's done on the field because I think it's twofold. I think I don't think the offense is the best fit for him. Um, you know, McAdoo had this offense, you know, already, you know, built out and, you know, schemed up before they even got Baker, right? And so, you know, Baker's trying to catch up to whatever McAdoo envisioned for this offense in Carolina. You know, but when I see um, the offense on display, this the the route combinations and everything. I don't see the routes, you know, setting up guys to get open, right? And so I think McAdoo's offense requires receivers to get their separation, you know, themselves. And I think Baker's really struggling, you know, with trusting his wide receivers to execute and get separation. Um, I don't think he's at a point where he, you know, he's trusting himself or the receivers enough to throw with anticipation. And so you're, you're almost seeing him wait to see guys get open so he can like rocket it in. And I think what's worked against him in the first few weeks, especially weeks one and two is like all those batted balls. Right. I think there was some really good opportunities that we never saw materialize because we saw probably, you know, 10 batted balls over the course of the first two weeks. And I think now that he's seen so many batted balls that fortunately didn't turn into interceptions, I think what we're seeing now is a guy that's kind of hesitant, right? Like I saw him, you know, drop back probably two or three times on Sunday and I was just watching his feet and his feet looked erratic. Like he just wouldn't set, right? He wouldn't, like he had a, a perfectly good pocket, but I saw his feet moving like a thousand miles per minute. Like he was jogging in place. I'm like, dude, just sit down, see it, throw it. But it was like 
I don't know if he couldn't see like a good passing lane. He didn't trust it. Maybe he, he felt like hands were going to go up if he threw it. It just didn't look like he trusted, you know, anything on the field. And when he did have some openness early, you know, he wasn't accurate. He wasn't accurate with the ball, you know, and, and those two misses early to DJ, man, I was sitting there watching like, oh, God, right? And I think I have some PTSD from my Teddy days, right? You know, it's like, okay, this is a guy that I really wanted and I want him to come in and set the world on fire because honestly, I really want Baker to be the guy, right? I don't want us to have to go into next year looking to draft a guy. Um, but every time he has a game like this, you know, like this past week and the weeks before, not saying that it's been bad. He has like four total touchdowns to one interception, right? You know, total. But we need to see more. You know, we need to see him hit more easy passes when he gets them. Um, his receivers need to help him out. You know, Shy dropped a couple balls last week. I think Ian dropped the ball, you know, on Sunday. Catchable balls. Um, and, you know, but for the most part, he just hasn't been on target. There was a tweet that went out earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, that said that he's been off target like 20-something, 30% of the time or whatever it was. Um, and that's just not a good stat because that has nothing to do with anything besides, you know, them seeing where you place the ball, you know, on your man. And, you know, right now he's just not on. The thing about Baker, though, and it's the thing that I, I, I have to trust is that I've seen him get hot, like fire hot. And I know that we haven't seen that Baker yet. Like, I think we are seeing the worst version of Baker right now. I don't think he gets worse, right? I think this is his floor. I think Panthers fans have to realize that it's hard to trust what you see in the first few weeks of the season. Last year, I wasn't high on Donald, but in the first three weeks of the season, Donald almost made us believers, right? You know, because he was just performing. And then he became Sam Donald. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that we thought was there the whole time. I want Baker to do the reverse. He came in slow. I want him to get hot, you know, and get hot as the season goes. You know, I think the Panthers with Baker, if he can get hot, like I like I believe he can, I think we can surprise a lot of people still. I hate that we dropped the first two games, but I think Baker still has a lot in him. And I think he still has time to get more comfortable in the system. And I think McAdoo has more time to see him in action and say, okay, these are the things that you look comfortable doing. Let's install more of that for you. Like, what do you like, right? McAdoo has only had Baker since July. So he hasn't had a lot of time to see what he truly likes. They were splitting reps like idiots in camp. And so he only got half the time to see him do his thing in, in at practice. And so now through these games and watching films and seeing all the looks that he's really gotten from three good defensive coordinators. He went against, I forget who's the guy in Cleveland, but I know he's solid because the defense is solid. He went against Wink in week two. Wink Martindale is a great defensive coordinator. And he went against, um, what's his name? Well, I can't think right now. The head oh, coach is you know, Dennis Allen. Dennis but, Allen, Dennis yeah. Allen, the head coach. The Saints have a really good defense with really good cover guys. Yeah, they do. You got Honey Badger. You got Lattimore. You got Roby. 
and you know, those like, guys have played in that system for years. They're, they're not scrubs, man. You know, the Giants don't have great corners, but they got wink, you know. And so we haven't seen the best defense that we're going to see. I think Tampa Bay still has the best defense that's on our schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so – but we've seen some really good defenses. That defense that we played on Sunday gave Tom Brady a fit the week before. Yeah, the Panthers scored more points than the – uh jj i want to jump in here real quick to say something you talked about baker getting on that hot streak you go back to 2020 i keep saying this i watched i watched those games go after the cincinnati Bengals game in week two when baker came back i think he didn't throw an incompletion after the second quarter ended up winning the game 35 30 they go on the next week they beat washington 34 20 then he goes up beats Dallas on the road, 49-38, then beats the Colts. Then their first game they lost after that was against the Steelers. So they, they, I mean, middle of uh, September to almost end of October, they went on a tear that year. I mean, and, and they ended up going to the playoffs. But that's the type of thing I think you can see once he does get going. But Bryson, I wanted you to jump in. What's Why isn't Baker bacon? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think um... – I'm, I, you know, I tweeted it. I think I'm not afraid to call anybody out. I think that it's, if, if you're not playing well, then I think that you should be called out and hopefully you can improve off of being called out. So, I mean, Baker's the 36th ranked quarterback in the league, uh, according to pro football focus, and there's 32 teams. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's like a, graded at a 45.7. So I think Baker has not been playing well, but it's not all on Baker. Uh I think that it would be irresponsible of us to say it's all on Baker. The offensive line has taken some lumps through the first three weeks. It's been better than uh, what we're used to in Carolina, but uh, definitely struggled week one. Um, week two wasn't the greatest either, but week three definitely improved. Um, wide receivers, uh, you know, have struggled as well at times. Uh, and then scheming with Ben McAdoo has not been the greatest. Uh, he has not done a, a very good job of, scheming wide receivers open uh, so I think a, a com- combination of all that is kind of what lends and then Baker obviously not being the best Baker that he can be uh, really kind of all adds together and, and, and gives us this Baker that we've been seeing but I'm not ready to write him off or anything like that uh, I think that Baker will continue to improve uh, with the more time and uh, the, uh, the more experience he has with these wide receivers and and this offense in general so I think that he will improve throughout the season. I think that Panthers fans will uh, grow to like him. And, and, you know, maybe he is the answer. Maybe he isn't. But I do think that he will improve. JJ, I wanted to go back to a point that you said earlier. I honestly think it's trust. I think it's trust within the offensive line, trust within the play calling, trust within the receivers. He's getting happy feet in the pocket. Got to remember, this guy's only what? Maybe a month and a half, two months acclimated with this team. I still think that is playing into a little bit. While that sucks, that's just reality. Um, I do think it can go up from here. I think that's going to happen. I'm still a believer in him. I don't think McAdoo has called that bad of games ever really since week one. I thought week one was... I think he tried to overcomplicate things and get away from what Carolina is was born to do, and that's run the ball, play action. Um, 
and take your shots when you can. And I think he got away from that week one, and that's where that the offense struggled. But I feel like McAdoo has called decently these last two games. Um, DJ was open this last game several times. Baker threw high. JJ, you mentioned that. Um, he had Robbie on a couple routes. There was some miscommunication there. So, again, I just think it's comfortability. It's early yet. I think people need to settle down. I saw some people saying it's time for Sam Darnold. It was in the mailbag this week. Think you're high as hell. Not a chance <laughs> they go back to him. No. He is not worth the chance at all. He is a backup quarterback in this league. But um, I think I think people need to settle it down. Um, it's kind of like this team. Carolina started off 3-0 last year. Look how that ended. They're having a slower start this year, one and two. I think if they can start to get high here, stack some things together, Baker can get more comfortable and they can start rolling here a little bit. But I wanted to get into this a little bit and then we can bring um, Bo in here. Um, is talk about the receivers because there was Joe Person put out an article today, JJ. I don't know if you saw it, but it kind of started some uh, a little debate on Twitter about DJ Moore who right. has up to this point been one of the most, I would probably say, and I'm biased on this, the most underrated wide receiver in this league, never gets enough credit. Um, they, they they say the four touchdowns every year, he doesn't put up enough uh, touchdowns. He's had three 1,000-yard uh, receiving yards um, with quarterbacks that not a lot of guys would be making plays with. So, what were your thoughts on the DJ Moore stuff? Um, I'm just curious. So people are not going to like what I have to say about this either. I love DJ Moore for the special playmaker that he is, right? As a wide receiver, that's how I see DJ Moore, though. I see him as a playmaker. Um, not as a pure wide receiver one, despite the production, right? I think he's a big play guy. Um, but, you know, my friend Vincent Richardson, we have Scott in the culture, you know, where we've discussed our wide receivers, you know, because we were looking at potential draft prospects at that position group. And so we talked about the receivers that we've had over the years. And there was one point where we had a discussion about DJ Moore, and the crazy part about DJ Moore is that he doesn't run great routes. And I hate to say it, you know, but going back to his time with um, Scott Turner, North Turner, when, when they had the offense, there was only like a few routes that DJ really ran consistently well, but they were really intermediate routes. Um, I think he does struggle with separation. I can't break down any film to show you why he struggles. Um, but I did read an article today on route running after Joe Person's article, just so I could get smart on the art of it, right? I think DJ struggles with maintaining technique through his routes, you know, because there could be like two or three um, different points where you need to change directions in a route. And I think DJ doesn't execute through the routes as good as a lot of the top receivers do in the league, right? You know, a lot of the guys that we want to put him in the same conversation with, I think they're just better technicians at route running. Now, there are things that he can do that they can't do, right? 
And we don't do those things with DJ enough. And I think those things are, you know, like the run after the catch type plays, you know, where you can get him the ball on, on screens and, you know, the quick stuff, the quick slants. Like, let's think about something with DJ Moore real quick. Do you remember that whip route that he ran against Atlanta in 2020 and he housed it? I think it was like 70 yards or whatever it was. How many times have you seen Carolina try that route with him since then? None, right? <laughs> he took a simple route that I've seen Julian Edelman run a thousand times in New England. And he took that to the house and I haven't seen them try it again. And so those are the type of routes where I think DJ wins. But JJ, but let me ask you this. Do you think his struggles right now are because of his play or is this a well, Baker no, I, Mayfield getting acclimated to this offense? Well, type of thing? I, I hate that for both guys, right? You know, the whole Baker, Maker, Baker Mayfield, you know, getting acclimated thing because it's going to turn into a mini version of the Odell and, and Baker thing in Cleveland, right? First things first, Baker doesn't have a track record of over-targeting the wide receiver one. He's, he tries to find the open guy. Whether he's good at that or not, you know, that's still to be determined. Um, but I saw in Cleveland that he's going to find sometimes the, the second or third read. Baker right now is more comfortable with Shy Smith than he is anybody, just naturally, right? He trusts Shy. I don't think he trusts any of the guys more than he trusts Shy. Shy just isn't up to task yet. And that's my guy, you know, but he hasn't shown that he can be trustworthy yet. But Baker trusts him. I don't know if it's because of where they put Baker in that practice when he was going with the twos and Shy was on the field with him or whatever, but he's kind of timed up with Shy. He isn't timed up with DJ the same way. I don't think he has a good read for DJ's speed out of the breaks. I think, you know, he just doesn't have great chemistry with him and is just showing up on, you know, during the games and, you know, it Baker looks inaccurate. Um, and so, but when you see that, you know, what is everybody going to do? They're going to go and try to figure out why isn't Baker hitting DJ? The problem is, is that we go in there knowing that Baker was inaccurate, right? But sometimes when you go and look at film, you see things that you didn't expect to see. Like, DJ might not be getting separation, right? So you went in looking for what's wrong with Baker, but you might have found that DJ really isn't getting separation consistently like we think he is. And like Because DJ is our guy, right? You know, he's been the star player for the Carolina Panthers, um, especially the last two years because CMC has been hurt. So DJ has been the guy that has stepped up and been the thousand yard production guy um, for three consecutive years. He may not even get a thousand yards this year on this pace. And so a lot of fans are going to be upset with that if he doesn't, right? They're going to say that, you know, Baker ruined this man and he, you know, he stole a, a year from him. Forget all that. I think Baker, you know, needs to get better at what he's doing, but I also think DJ could run better routes. I think I always been a guy that's probably been a little bit more critical of DJ because I feel like he can be so much better because he has all the athletic tools to be better. Um, I think his production is kind of like Christian's production, you know, in 2018 and 2019, where although he, he's had big numbers, 
I think a lot of that has come because he's just been heavily targeted. Obviously, he's dynamic. So when he touches the ball, he makes big plays. Um, you know, like uh, in 2020, when he had Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback, I think DJ averaged like 18 yards of reception. Yeah. You know, it's like his highest in his career, you know, with a guy who supposedly didn't throw the ball deep, right? And so he can win, but just because we've seen the guy be productive doesn't mean that he's as refined as he needs to be. So – well, let's 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 uh, pause the conversation there. We'll talk about this more. Okay. I just want to bring in Bo. We we teased it early in the show. Arizona Cardinals reporter, host of PHNX Cardinals podcast, Bo Brock, joining us now on Panthers on Tap. Bo, thank you so much for taking the time out. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Let's start. Kind of get us up to speed on the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from them these first couple games of the season? It's we're kind of in the same boat right now as a team. I mean, I guess you guys definitely have the better quarterback right now, but one <laughs> and two, one and two on the season. Talk, talk about Arizona. Yeah, it's been a, a, a kind of a sludge, right? Through three games, you've got 11 quarters where the Arizona Cardinals have done absolutely really nothing. And then one quarter where they got it together and it was enough to take out the Las Vegas Raiders and, and get that one win for the season. And, and this is a team that, you know, as far as the preseason training camp went, it was very unorthodox. It was very lackadaisical. It was kind of a country club. All the veterans were kind of getting time off, and nobody played the preseason that was that's playing or, or make, you know, was supposed to make an impact come you know the regular season. And you're seeing that this is a rusty team, and they just don't seem prepared. They're not making plays early on. They've been outscored, I think, thirty-one nothing in the first quarter. So th- we've been hearing it over and over again that. You know, for in their third showdown between Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Cliff Kingsbury, they want to uh, improve to three and zero against Baker, and uh, even their record at two and two. Because despite all this and all the dysfunction that people feel like is there, two and two would be a good spot for them. Bo, I got to ask you real quick, kind of going back to summer and before the season, what do you make of the Kyler Murray contract? I just got to get yeah. your take on that. Yeah, you got to do it, right? You want to be you want to be a solid team. You want to draft and develop a player, and, and you want to hit on those guys. And Kyler Murray is one of those one of those players, especially at the most important position in sports. And that was the market value. And you people can look at the the Sean Watson deal, but the Arizona Cardinals weren't held hostage by you know the dumb move that the Browns made by giving him every single cent of that guaranteed. Arizona Cardinals were able to get something more reasonable and. And Kyler Murray got $230.5 million total as far as his contract's concerned. But, you know, the guaranteed money isn't as absurd and they can work around it as far as the next couple of years as the salary cap goes. Kyler Murray was the offensive rookie of the year. He's been a two-time Pro Bowler. He is pretty much, he, he is the Arizona Cardinal. He's the best quarterback they've ever drafted and developed. And uh, they couldn't let that relationship sour. And when you look at the quarterbacks the last couple of years who, uh, you know, earned a second deal in year, but going into year four, um, you know, I think Kyler Murray has just as much or, or just maybe even a more impressive resume than most of those guys. So it was something that was necessary and I'm glad they got the job done. Now, you know, you want him to kind of tap into that potential that the Cardinals saw that he still had despite his solid start to his career for through the first three seasons. Um, Bo, j- just for my own uh, recollection, so I- I'm pretty familiar with the Cardinals offense just because you see the highlights and, and the crazy stuff that Kyler does uh, 
like you mentioned in that fourth quarter versus Las Vegas. But mm -hmm. uh, def defense wise, uh, what can we expect in Carolina from this Cardinals defense? Man, that's a uh, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, just because it's it's like the rest of the team, it's been an uneven performance. You know, Vance Joseph has has been put in a, in a tough spot. I mean, this is a this organization has not invested a ton in the defensive side of the football. I mean, they gave JJ Watt two off seasons ago, uh, probably the richest contract as far as it remains on the roster. They let Chandler Jones walk, and that was probably the right move. Looking at the lack of production you're seeing from Chandler Jones and the price tag that he had that he got from the Raiders. Uh, on the free agent market, but it's just they didn't really bring anybody else in. You know, they're getting pressure. You're seeing uh, you're seeing the defensive line win a lot, but they're not getting home and they're not getting sacks. And then uh, the biggest issue with this team is they can't cover anybody. Like, you know, they can get as much pressure as they want, but opposing quarterbacks are still able to get their eyes downfield and are still able to make plays. The, the biggest true issue is drafting in back-to-back -back seasons, first-rounders, that are linebackers that aren't aren't making really any, any impact at all. Uh, I, I mean, I think people are encouraged from Zayvon Collins, who was drafted in 16th overall out of Tulsa uh, in 2021. And he's he's playing more and, and he's performing a little bit better. But Isaiah Simmons last two weeks, guys, has played 15 and 16 snaps respectively on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that's just not enough for a guy that you utilize an eighth overall pick. Uh, I'm sure the Arizona Cardinals would have loved to take Derek Brown in that draft, but he wasn't there. Obvious reasons. But uh, Isaiah Simmons, they are just in year three of his career are still struggling to figure out what role he needs to play in this defense. And, you know, they Cliff told us yesterday at his, at his media availability, like they like his role. It's like you like your eighth overall pick playing 15 snaps a game. It's just it's head scratching, guys. And, and this defense is just Joseph was able to get like three and outs on three consecutive drives and a couple in the last two games and the defense has played fine and, and they should have, they played well enough for them to win last week. So that's encouraging after the week one performance against the Kansas city chiefs, but the chiefs make a lot of people look really bad. Oh, it's yeah, funny. It's funny. You say the Isaiah Simmons stuff. You, I see, I think you saw all of us, every one of our boxes start laughing because yeah. that has been the Twitter fan base for the Panthers has been hammering and pounding the table for why the Panthers didn't draft Isaiah Simmons over Derek Brown. And then, and then you go away with that. one. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you, you, you kind of gave the team a little bit of a pass, right? Year one COVID year. Uh, he's drinking from a fire hose as far as learning six different positions, but it's year three guys. And this was a player going into the regular season just a few weeks ago that this team had given the green dot on his helmet. He was going to be calling the defense out on the field. And now has been, and, and Vance Joseph said like, Hey, it makes sense. He's going to be the calling the defense out there because he's going to be out there all the time. Now he's playing 15 snaps a game. It's just, it's That's unbelievable. Crazy. That's crazy. It JJ, is. any questions for Bo? Uh, well, <laughs> well, I was going to ask two questions, you know, but when you brought up Simmons, you know, obviously, you know, what Curtis just said, that has been a point of contention with, with Panthers fans for the last couple of years because a lot of fans, including me at one point, you know, we were trying to replace Luke Keekley. Not that you could replace a guy like Luke, but we wanted to fill a void that he left. And so Isaiah Simmons looked like the guy who may be able to do that. Um, you know, but we went and got Derrick Brown. And so in the second round, we traded up and got Chin, which I felt like was a, a – 
a different version of, of Simmons. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of moved on from the whole Simmons thing very fast, but it never went away for our fans that we should have got Simmons. Hearing you say that, you know, that you would have rather had Derrick Brown, you know, is really confident for me as a Derrick Brown supporter because I really think our fans need to hear somebody else say that, you know, that he's a guy that has performed well. He's definitely playing more than 15 snaps per game. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, so that's not necessarily a question. It's just I'm glad that you said that because I think anybody listening, um, they need to hear that and they need to share that with their friends. Right. Um, and I think that that the Cardinals fans need to kind of look around the rest of the first round, you know, Simmons included. I mean, everybody looks at like CeeDee Lamb. And it's like CeeDee Lamb went a couple picks later. It's just like, okay, Cardinals weren't in business. They've got DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't want they didn't want CeeDee Lamb at that time. They wanted to re- reunite with him with his his college quarterback. And uh, you know, it, they look at the offensive lineman, but the Arizona Cardinals, if they were given the opportunity, the guy they wanted was Derek Brown. And and you know, their GM fell in love with him and he just wasn't there. It's, that's crazy. Well, I'm gonna ask you about another guy, you know, who's actually a guy from my hometown. Um, how is DJ Humphreys holding up? DJ Humphreys has been solid. He signed his extension, uh, a three-year deal before or during training camp. He had a magic, a magic uh, stomach flu that went away once he put pen to paper on a multi-million-dollar contract. But he's been solid. I mean, he took care of business against uh, against Chandler Jones, old teammate of his, and. He, he's been when you, you know, the old cliche is like, if you're not talking about offensive linemen, sometimes it's a good thing. And like, we haven't yeah. had, we haven't talked about, uh, about hump and hump is he had a tough end of last season. I think, you know, the COVID thing that he had was a bigger deal. He didn't have his breath. He, he, he was definitely a shell of himself to, down the stretch last season. Yeah. He's healthy. He's rolling. He's a franchise caliber left tackle right now. And, and that's, that's what you want, especially you know, as he signed his third deal with the, with the team. Uh, so, yeah, Hump has been one of the few bright spots for this Arizona Cardinals offense through three weeks, no doubt about it. Well, that's great. I, I actually went to high school with Hump's dad. And, okay. Uh, and so uh, so just seeing him have a son playing at this high level, you know, with the Cardinals, I'm proud of him. I hope he looks horrible on Sunday. <laughs> um, you know, but <laughs> – but I'm rooting for the guys, so it's just I just want to check in with the with the homeboy, you know, make sure absolutely he's for you guys. Yeah, and he's he's one of the best guys in a press conference too. He's he's hilarious and uh, candid and, and doesn't kind of leave you guessing. It's DJ Humphreys is is an awesome awesome guy on and off the field. Yeah, let your fans know that you know you have a really good guy and they come from really good people. For sure. Yeah. Well, guys, I don't want to I don't want to keep you long, Bo. Here, so let's get to a prediction. Um, score and kind of what you think is going to happen in the game. I don't know if you want to go right on the spot or I can give it to Bryson or JJ to start, but we can, we can predict this game, man. I, this is early in the week for me. We're usually talking predictions by Friday. Um, and, and what, what are we feeling guys, as far as what's the conditions going to be come Sunday, because you know, out here in Arizona playing in a dome, you don't have to deal with those that often. I mean, is, is it going to be, is it going to be kind of sloppy out there? It looks Could like, be. It looks it like the, the latest I work in news and, and we know the weather department, it, it's all over the place, but sure. the latest track has it. I mean, I saw rain through five, six, seven o'clock at night, and we're talking three to eight inches of rain through the weekend. So kind of depends where you're at, but it, it could be a very sloppy game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
That being said, I, I think that the Cardinals, they need this one. They're dogs as far as uh, what the wise guys, the Sharks in Vegas are saying. But I, I think that Kyler Murray, he's he's got Baker's number right now. So does Cliff Kingsbury. So does Vance Joseph. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it's 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 a the recipe for Baker Mayfield to figure it out right now on the fly in his Carolina Panthers career. I think the Cardinals can get enough stops defensively. It's it's really going to come down to this offense doing what everybody thought was going to be their calling card and putting up some points, but it's going to look sloppy out there along with the weather. I think the Arizona Cardinals win ugly, probably 23-16. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, you know, in us Carolina fans, we say a lot about Matt Rule, but one thing you can say about Matt Rule is that he, he's had Cliff Kingsbury's number. Uh, since he's been in the league. So sure. uh, Matt, Matt Rule has has coached pretty well against the Cardinals over the past couple of seasons, um, and, and everybody knows the Cam Newton game last season. So uh, I think it is going to be an ugly game. I agree with you, Bo. Uh, I definitely gained some confidence from this past weekend. Our defense played very well. Uh, I, I truly believe that the Panthers do have one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, and, and, you know, Kyler Murray is Kyler Murray, so he's going to get his, but – it, I guess it really just depends on who gets theirs more. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that this is a game that Carolina can win, and I think that I'm going to project them to win. But uh, I would say Carolina 22, Cardinals 16. JJ? Um, I don't like these close predictions, and they are too much alike <laughs> for me um, both ways. I'm picking the home team. I'm picking Carolina. I just haven't seen anything from Arizona um, against Carolina to make me think that they can come in and beat us now. Um, Rivera took Kyle Allen out to the desert, and and Kyle Allen looked like Tom Brady for one game, right <laughs> against <laughs> against Kingsbury. Um, I think you know what you mentioned earlier when you came on, Bo. You know about you know you all not being able to stop the pass. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately for us, Baker hasn't figured out how to pass in Carolina yet, you know, so that might not work against you. But what I'm betting on is that in a sloppy game, I think we have a better run game than you guys. And I think we can stay with that, you know, for longer than you guys can stay with it. Um, I don't think it'll be a high scoring game. I just don't think you guys will score very much in, in, in bad conditions, you know, being the West Coast guys and you know the sun guys that you are, you know, and so um, and so I think we're going to win this game. I'm going to say 19 to 10. Wow. It's going to be ugly, but I'm going to give it a little bit more than a six point, seven point spread, you know, like 19 to 10. Yeah. JJ stole my thunder a little bit here. I was going to say, get rid of the Matt rule has your number. Carolina's had your number since 2015, six wins in a row. I think they're going to ride that high. They're riding the high off this game, and so am I. I didn't think they'd beat New Orleans, but they surprised me. Again, I think the weather is going to play a factor. It's going to be a low-scoring game, a typical Carolina Panthers defensive battle. I'll go 17-6. Carolina's defense shows up big. Wow. Carolina's been playing. (laughs) Carolina's defense has been playing well. And if they can, they've had, they forced three turnovers unless that last game scored a touchdown. I think if they can build off of that and they can get rolling, um, they'll be off to two and two to start the quarter of the season here. So now, now go ahead, Bo. 
I mean, if the, if the Cardinals only muster six points after being held out of the end zone to just four field goals last week, I mean, you will have people rioting in the streets and, and asking for Cliff Kingsbury's removal. removal. And, you know, I, I just I think that this this offense is going to play a little bit better despite the conditions. But no. uh, not the numbers are there. I hear you. Six and oh, uh, it hasn't been a lot of winning against the Carolina Panthers in the, in the Cardinals history. That's for sure. So, Bo, is is it true that Dorch is your wide receiver too right now? Yeah. So, I mean, and look, I mean, it normally you would say, Hey, that's, that's an indictment on, on where things are, but Greg Dorch has played unbelievably well since the very beginning of training camp. I mean, this is a guy that if you look at, you know, just the, the standard stats, as far as just catches targets, receiving yards, touchdowns, um, he looks great. And then if you look at the analytics, he looks great as far as getting open uh, he he is a guy that is a true competitor out there and a playmaker for the Arizona Cardinals. So look, it's not ideal, but him and Hollywood Brown have been you know a few of the lone bright spots of this offense. And uh, if they don't keep tabs on Greg Dortch, uh, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be good for the Carolina Panthers. And like I I know that that's it sounds silly, but he's he's a true player out there, and, and they're going to have to keep tabs on him. And Hollywood yeah, try, had a I'm, huge I'm, game. I'm trying to stop myself from laughing. Um, about Greg Dortch. And and it's not because I don't I, – I believe you. Ashley was really high on Dortch because he was a Carolina Panther at one point. Mm-hmm. And so um, – but he, he did let me down, but he was part of a bad situation too. And he was he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. So I think – did he play at um, – did he play at Wake, Wake or – Yeah. yeah. He, was so he played at Eagle. Wake. Yeah, so I was excited. He came in and he was our kit returner. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't go so well. And um and so I never did see him as a wide receiver. I don't think he got many snaps as a receiver. Um, but I've been I play fantasy football and I've been noticing <laughs> that Dorch has been climbing up the boards. And I was like, who is this yeah. guy? Like, is this the same Dorch? And so um, so anyway, I I saw that I think Green got hurt Sunday. Yeah. Yep. He's got a bone bruise in his knee. I, I'd be shocked if he played in AJ Green. It's it's about time to just say yeah, yeah. Just give I mean, his gold watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Career. <laughs> I, I mean, George, George, I think he's, I think I saw he's got like 21 catches on 23 targets. So, I mean, the ball goes up and he brings it down. So uh, he has been, obviously you want Hopkins out there, but he's, he's got the suspension through week six, it, Hollywood Brown, 14 catches, 140 yards. So yeah. uh, not as many weapons. And, and Zach Ertz is a guy in this game that needs to step up. Too many balls are going his way that he's not, he's not bringing down. And I don't think it's a matter of, uh, father time, but more rust with a guy like Zach Ertz who dealt with a calf injury. Okay. Um, but it look, I mean, you, you would have thought, Hey, this, you just look on paper. It's an embarrassment of riches. But then next thing you look, you're like Greg Dorch is number two. Like they, yeah. they need a little bit more help offensively than you would have ever anticipated uh, needing throughout the 2022 season. Yeah. So, you know what, after talking about Greg Dorch being your number two receiver, I'm going to say 19 to to six. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I wouldn't have never come on if I, if I knew it was gonna be this disrespectful. No, I uh, uh one thing I will say that worries me as a Carolina Panthers fan, it's something that they've struggled with over the years is is quarterbacks that can run. And obviously we know Kyler Murray can run the ball. So uh, uh I mean they struggled with Daniel Jones. So you get a running quarterback like Kyler Murray who's you know a level above Daniel Jones um, right. That that is something that I think that hopefully Phil Snow can scheme and spy him the whole game or do whatever you have to do. But Kyler Murray's mobility is something that I think will be um, on display on Sunday. So hopefully Carolina can contain him and 
and and keep him in wraps, but that's something I'd keep an eye on. Oh yeah, for sure. Also keep in mind that it was it was Colt McCoy last time these two teams faced off in Glendale. I mean, you didn't that's beat fair. Kyler Murray. It that's was <laughs> and Hassan Reddick was part of that game too. And Hassan Reddick made a big play right out of the gates, forced a fumble, and the Cardinals were were chasing points immediately. So yeah. um it was it's a little bit different. So I mean Kyler's a different beast. Yeah, and JJ, I think you I think you jinx it. Dorch is probably gonna have a good game. Carolina seems <laughs> to struggle with those under the radar receivers. People's Jones went off against Carolina. Olave. Um, Olave last week. Yeah. Um, and then the guy in the Giants, I think it was like Slain or it was Seals. I, Seal, yeah. Yeah. So, and Seals. so they'll probably put the clamps down on Hollywood. But I, I feel like Dorch is going to go off in this game. And another guy to watch, too, and I feel like Carolina has struggled with this. I think Ertz is going to have a big game. Carolina struggles with pass-catching tight ends. And that's that's one I'm that's one I'm concerned about going into this. And then, obviously, Kyler running, especially if this game gets sloppy here. It really – this game really comes down – I think the, the weather is going to change the whole dynamic of it, right? And I think it makes the, the unpredictability really goes in favor of the Cardinals and Kyler because, you know, what he can do, um, you know, from the quarterback position just makes everything so unbalanced, you know, when he takes off. Um, but I I think Phil Snow just has that Arizona offense number. You know, I think, I think he just he, – I think he knows what Cliff wants to do. So it's really about – if Cliff has adjusted, not from 2021, because we know that, you know, that was Colt McCoy. But even when I saw them in 2020, you know, Kyler was playing in 2020 mm-hmm. and they didn't look great that year either. And so um, I think Phil Snow, I think the way that he plays defense, I think it just kind of works against the way that Cliff Kingsbury, you know, designs offense. And, and so they would have to do something different. And unfortunately for Arizona, there's just not a lot of weapons to do that thing, that different thing with. And so it'll be interesting. I'm, I can't count you guys out, you know, but I'm, I'm, I am confident, you know, that we should win that game though. And, and another guy that we haven't mentioned is James Conner. I think that he's kind of flies under the radar a lot. A very like fantasy. He's great. Obviously he scores a lot of touchdowns, but yeah. he's, he's, he's a good running back in this league and, and definitely underrated. So uh, the running game with Kyler and the running game with James Conner as well, I think is something that, uh, to, to Carolina should keep an eye on, especially, you know, if it, if it does rain a lot. Um, yeah. and, and Bo, did you see that, uh, Las Vegas flipped, uh, Matt rule and, and Cliff Kingsbury, uh, odds wise that Cliff Kingsbury is now the favorite, uh, coach to, to be fired first. I, I have seen that. Um, and it, it's interesting. It's, it's more, obviously what, uh, what bet's going to generate the most public dollars. Yeah. Realistically, Cliff Kingsbury just signed an extension through 2027 this I past offseason. Yeah, yeah, he did. And and I know it's the NFL. I mean, if if the if uh, if the Cardinals go five and twelve, it doesn't. I I wouldn't be shocked if he's moved. But for him to be the first coach fired, I mean, we'd have to be sitting here a couple of weeks from now, and they're still stuck on one win. And I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, I, I hope you guys might be sleeping too. I mean, when you talk about the weather, I mean, Baker Mayfield is, is a tough quarterback to play for when conditions are perfect. Uh, you know, I think that it doesn't exactly play fully into the hands of the Carolina Panthers that things might be ugly out there. I mean, Baker has a tough time taking care of the football 
Kyler Murray is a guy that he's got one pick through the first three weeks. He, he's taken care of the ball throughout his career. I think that that's when you look at a game where it's going to be tough conditions out there, you know, you, you might want to bet on the quarterback that takes care of the football and, and the guy that hasn't led the NFL before in interceptions like Baker Mayfield. So that, this is my Hey, 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 but Bo has to throw some punches too. You've been I know, like, I'm, I'm taking body blows too. Like, oh, he's right. Oh my God. Like, he's telling the truth. Like, stop it. You know, so, yeah, yes, chill, man. Yeah. Oh, well, how does the injury report? You talked about AJ Green. How, how are yeah. you guys clean wise coming out of this past week? Uh, they're going to be missing a key player in the middle of that defense, Rashard Lawrence, who played his college football at LSU. He broke his hand, he had surgery. Uh, right after the game on Sunday. So we'll see what that that looks like. Um, JJ's looking good, a guy who's always kind of around the injury report, which is which is you know refreshing. Uh, Zaven Collins, he got banged up. He should be good to go. But um, Rondell Moore is one to kind of for you guys to keep your eye on throughout the week. He hasn't played all season long. Second round wide receiver, had a lot of expectations and in a role that they really kind of carved out for him that they were excited about. And he pulled a hamstring before week one. He's he's going to be close. I, I'd be interested to see if if the teams fall in the weather report to see if they want to even test it. But if he can help, that certainly helps out. You know, when we talk about Greg Dorch, if Rondell Moore can go out there, uh, if you've ever seen him play football, he's a playmaker. Oh yeah, Rondell Moore is, is a hell of a player. And yeah. I, I was wondering why I haven't been hearing about Rondell Moore, but. Obviously, he's injured, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, I think we're going to let Bo go here. Arizona Cardinals reporter, host of PHNX podcast. Go check them out wherever you get your guys' podcast. Bo, thanks again for taking the time. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm keeping these receipts, especially both of you who said six points. I'm coming at you on, on Twitter if if, it, uh, if they put up a crooked number on, on Sunday. So what, what's, fair, man. What, what's your handle? Uh, you can follow me at Bo Brack, uh, B-O-B-R-A-C-K. Easiest way to find it, Bob Brack. If we lose, I'm blocking you. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Thank you. And so I, I just want to pick up where I left off at. The last point I was making on DJ before we um, went over to Bo it was on a negative tip. And so I wanted to pick back up and, and finish it off right with DJ. I'm only hard on DJ because I feel like he has so much to offer um, just athletically. Um, I still, he's still a, a young guy and I think he still has time to get better uh, from a technique standpoint with his route running, with his route running, um, with creating separation because he's so explosive, right? You know, so I think for some guys, they just have to figure out how to use that explosion to be great separators. And um, it's not like DJ hasn't done it. So I wanna clear that up. DJ has been a guy who could get open, who can run great routes. I think with anybody at the NFL level it's about your consistency throughout the game. Look at Cooper Cup, right? Cooper Cup is nowhere near as fast as, as DJ, but he's probably a lot quicker. And technique wise, I mean, it's like watching a, a, a route running clinic when you see the Rams play. I want DJ to like watch guys like that, Devontae Adams. You know, when you see or you hear these guys speak about their route running, you know, the first thing that they talk about is who else in the league they model their game after. I would like to know who DJ models his game after when it comes to 
being a better technician um, as a wide receiver. Because I think if you actually study guys and how they attack cornerbacks, you know, based on the looks the cornerbacks are giving them, I think that is just make him a better player. And that's whether, you know, whether Baker Mayfield is his quarterback or whoever the next quarterback is for the Carolina Panthers, it's only going to help him. And because the TD production, you know, that DJ has had over the years, I think he's at what four in like two consecutive years or something like that. Yep. I think a big part of that, and people per want season, to per, per season, season, yeah, per season. I think a big part of that is what I'm talking about. Teddy mentioned it in 2020. You know, when you get close to the red zone, like guys have to be a lot more decisive in their route running because things happen so much quicker. I think because DJ doesn't get that separation quickly. I don't think he gets the red zone targets that we would like for him to have. So unless DJ scores from like 40, 50, 60, 70 out, he's not getting the rock like we think he should. And obviously there's been times where quarterbacks have missed him in the end zone, but there's been also times where he dropped the ball in the end zone. DJ is our number one wide receiver. He's the best talent at the wide receiver position, but I do think there's room for growth. and. I hate that Joe Person worded the article the way he did because it made it seem like he was making an excuse for Baker. Um, I wish he would have wrote what he needed to write about Baker. And if he has something to say about DJ, make that a separate article. But don't make it seem like Baker's struggling because DJ isn't a good wide receiver. Because that's why the Panthers fan base reacted the way they did. Because for a lot of people, DJ has been the the only thing for us to watch for the last two or three seasons. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I mean, Joe Person knew what he was doing. You know, he, he's a great writer. And uh, I lean on Joe's information for a lot of stuff. But including DJ Moore in that article, you know, was to drive what he wanted. And it, and it was and it worked. And so, um, but nevertheless, DJ can get better. He's already he's already already a really good wide receiver. I think the better he gets as a separator, I think that's what's going to get him to the elite level, whether, you know, Baker is his quarterback or not. Yeah, I I think um, I was trying to find the numbers here, but I saw, had saw something. I think DJ Moore is like top 15 in the league when it comes to average uh, yards of separation uh, in route run. So uh, I think there are instances where he does, you know, he, he, he struggles to create separation, but then there's instances like the first pass, that Baker missed uh, DJ Moore on the man beater across the middle. Uh, DJ Moore is pretty much wide open and it went right over his head. So um, I I don't think that, well, I'm going to preface it with DJ Moore is my favorite Carolina Panther. He is my, he's, you know, one of my all time favorites and he's my favorite right now. I think that DJ Moore has, has played with a lot of bad quarterbacks and, and like Curtis mentioned earlier has produced with those bad quarterbacks. So I think, a lot of what's going on right now is just a new quarterback in a new offensive system uh, with wide receivers he has no familiarity with. And I think it's just taking some time to mesh. I mean, this is a guy, a quarterback that didn't get a lot of reps in, tra- in training camp because of the stupid split rep thing they were doing. Um, so he's kind of growing as he goes with with uh, Baker, with uh, DJ Moore and Robbie and um, Shy and all of them. So uh, I think to blame DJ Moore for – 
uh, Baker's shortcomings up to this point is 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 not right. I don't think that it, because of DJ Moore is the reason that Baker has struggled. And I don't think that's what you were doing, JJ. I'm just I'm just saying in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that let's just give it a little bit more time. I think DJ is going to get his. Uh, Baker's going to improve, like I mentioned earlier. And I think it's just going to take it just a little bit of time for them to just get familiar with each other and and learn those tendencies of like you mentioned, J.J., of, of DJ's speed and uh, DJ's decisiveness and when Baker feels like DJ's making a cut or, or whatever. It's just this is the NFL, and it and these are pros, uh, and and the more that time that they have together, the more they're going to look better. Yeah. I mean, so much of the quarterback position, you know, is about that quarterback's relationship with this number one guy. And you can look across the league, you know, and, and that's going to be true, whether it's Patrick Mahomes and and now you know Travis Kelsey, um, you know now you have you have uh, Lamar Jackson and I think his his guys Andrews who's a tight end as well, um, but every top QB in the league has a guy that they know they can trust and they know where they're going to be on every route. They know how to time them up. They know where they're going to like where they're going to settle down in the zone. And right now Baker doesn't know that with DJ. And, uh, and and I think the more time they get together, uh, we're going to see that. I think DJ is going to have some games where he's going to go nuts, you know, like in the past. And then there are going to be games where you might not even, you know, might not even show up on the box score. Um, you just never know with the type of offense we're playing. Um, but I think as the season goes, I think you're going to see um, everybody get a little bit more productive. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of miles to feed at the wide receiver position in Carolina now. Crowded too. room. Crowded room. You have LaVisca Chenault, who showed what he can do with the ball in his hands. Um, you still got Robbie Anderson, you know, who still can, you know, make a lot of plays. Shy Smith is obviously their trusted slot guy. Um, hoping Higgins could get in and get some snaps. Um, I don't know what's going on with Terrence Marshall Jr., but, you know, to have a guy like Terrence Marshall Jr., you know, not even getting significant wide receiver snaps, you know, that just tells you how deep that wide receiver room is. And I'm not the person to say who should be getting, you know, more snaps. Um, if I was playing Madden, <laughs> I probably would have Chenault or Terrence Marshall Jr. as my third receiver. Um, but this is not Madden. You know, this is about trust. Football is a game of trust. And it's about who your head coach trusts first on offense is about who your offensive coordinator trust and then it's about who your quarterback trusts. right now they believe that the top three the top three wide receivers for this offense is dj moore robbie anderson and shy smith i'm looking to see if one of those other guys can challenge shy smith even though shy is my homeboy and you know i'm always going to support him um there's room for one of those other guys to step up if they can prove that they deserve to be in that spot. I want I want the team on the field that's going to be the most dangerous offensively. You know, I love what Shy has done. He's proved a lot of naysayers wrong. Um, but I don't care about that on Sundays. I care about winning. And so if LaVisca needs to be in the game, put LaVisca in the game. If Higgins needs to be in the game, put Higgins in the game. Whoever gets us to winning, you know, this is a this is a game of uh, of of endurance it's a marathon like people go down during the season it's good to have guys like shy you know who can come off the bench and give you some reps if somebody goes down um 
But, you know, he's obviously earned the coach's trust. Let me tell you a little story about Shy before we go. Um, before you get to that story, let me jump in on DJ Moore because I haven't had a chance to talk about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, patience. It's a Panther fans, not a lot of them have patience right now. They want to win now. They want the offense to be rolling. They want DJ Moore to be catching touchdown passes. Passes. There's going to be some patience here. There's an acclimation period with Baker Mayfield. The offense ain't gelling. No one's really playing well on offense besides Christian McCaffrey, if we want to be totally honest. So it's going to take a little bit of time. Going back to Bryson's comment on separation, I just pulled up the list. He's way down the list, but he is around guys like Brandon Ayuk, like Chase Claypool, like Tyler Boyd, like DK Metcalf, like T. Higgins. I think there was a couple other guys in there. Michael Thomas was around that 2.2 and lower. DJ's at a 2.3 of separation. And just because we were talking about him before, we got to give uh, Greg Dortch here. He's got a separation of four and a half yards. So he's mm-hmm. at the top of the list. He's, I think, mm-hmm. number one, two, three. He is number seven there. So just that, That's disgusting. Oh my right. God. <laughs> but anyway, so there, there is that list. But you wanted to tell your story about Shy, so fire away. All right. So obviously, you know, Shy's from my hometown and I went home and I spent some time at home in August. Well, I ran into Shy's dad, right? And I'm only sharing this. I wouldn't tweet this, but I'm sharing it because you guys are gracious enough to bring me onto your show. So I always try to share a nugget when I have one. So we all know that Shy got into a, a situation back at home um, in the offseason. And it was all over the news and all over Twitter, right? And so him being such a young guy, a lot of people um, that's close to me and my family who know I track the Panthers and they've been like, you know, what's going to happen with Shy, man? You know, like, have you heard anything? And like, I don't know, you know, anything more than your local news have told you and you guys live here. So I know you know better than me. Um, but when the situation went down, I had a lot of people reach out to me and tell me, you know, some of the details about what was happening. So I felt pretty good about Shy staying with the team, just based on what I was hearing, um, you know, from what was going on locally. But it kind of went quiet. You know, nobody talked about it for a while. And then, you know, OTA started and minicamp started and then it was training camp and Shy was still around. And so when I was there, and Bryce, you remember, um, you guys had went to camp on the 6th, I believe it was, right? And um, I was up, I was in Spartanburg too. And so that same day, um, I ran into Shy's dad. And, and um, it's actually two stories. I'm only going to give you one today. I'll tell you the other one when I come back. Um, but I just asked him, I was like, man, what's going on? You know, like, what's, what's happening with Shy? And he was like, man, Shy good, man. You know, like, Shy's good. Um, it took him a while to adjust, you know, to the reality of being in the NFL, right? You know, just from a young man perspective. Um, but he shared with me that they had spoke with McAdoo. And McAdoo loves the dude. And I know that's something that fans can't capture. And I won't tweet it, but I will say it. He told me then, on that day, he said, when Shy came into the league last year, 
the way that they taught the wide receiver position at Carolina was different from how they were coaching them at the NFL level and Joe Brady's offense. Just to keep it really simple. You know how um, when they try to teach wide receivers to, you know, run routes and, you know, where to make their breaks at. Um, some people do it by, you know, the, the actual landmark on the field, you know, or, you know, like go five yards and then cut, you know, whatever. Others teach it to do it by the steps, right? You know, how many steps you take before you make your break. Well, the way that they were teaching it in college and in high school, you know, was a different way than the way they taught it at the NFL level. And so shy, you know, was trying to make that adjustment so he could run the routes the way that the coaches wanted him to run. The one thing I credit Ben McAdoo for is that he converted his coaching style to accommodate his player, right? And shy, he got it. And so once he started getting it, McAdoo and those guys quietly started, you know, coming up with different packages and increased plays for shy to see if he could execute. And guess what? He did, right? And then McAdoo said, we want him to learn how to field punts, right? At this point in the training camp, it wasn't set in stone that he would be a punt returner because they had brought in Andre Roberts and, you know, people thought that he would be the punt returner, kit returner, whatever. Well, I knew back then that they were trying to get shy up to speed to be that guy. But he had to, he had to learn it because he was having problems fielding punts, right? He was like, hey, look, man, the ball comes down all weird. You know, I, it gets windy. I need to figure this out. And it wasn't easy for him. So to see Shy even on the field, you know, in the position that he's in, it wasn't, it wasn't given. It was earned. So I was kind of crushed, you know, when he dropped those balls in week two because I know what he had to do to prove to McAdoo that first he belonged on the roster. But to get from having to adjust, you know, the way that he learned to play wide receiver to actually taking the one thing that they told me he had to do to even have a position on the team, you know, to be a, a returner and to embrace that challenge and actually earn the trust of his coaches um, above guys that they really like, like Zilstra, you know, and, and, and others, you know, to me, wasn't something that you just scoff at, but obviously I'm watching it differently than most fans. Right. You know, I'm, I'm biased toward him. And so I was hoping that he would do all those things that I was told by his dad that he was challenged to do to make it. And so I was shocked, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked that he made the team or made the roster. I was shocked that he was the starting slot. Um, but they told me then that McAdoo really liked him. And they really believe he can do a lot of things in the offense. And, you know, where a lot of people have been debating whether or not he should be on the field, it's kind of like one of them things, man, like what I, I told you guys. I can't even comment on Shy if he makes a bad play because it's like I can't even be – I can't even be unbiased about him um, because I know how hard he's working to be on the field, right? It is, trust me, they're not just putting him out there above these other guys because they like him. Like they put every challenge in front of him 
to do this and, and to be here. And, and he's actually earned it. And I think guys just feel like, you know, he's a favorite of Matt Rule. It's not Matt Rule. It's Ben McAdoo. And so he has to do his part, you know, to prove that he belongs out there because there's a difference between doing it at practice and doing it on Sundays. And so, you know, I think that that first drop obviously took his, his eyes off the, off the ball, um, you know, near the goal line last week. That second drop was actually a tough catch, right? But everybody had kind of made their minds up that he had butterfingers at that point. And so, you know, Twitter fans, I saw all kind of crazy stuff, you know, about Shy. Um, I won't comment on the negative stuff going forward. I'm just going to encourage my boy because, uh, because I know it. And we talked about personal stuff with him too. Just know that he's making the adjustments in his, you know, in his young life to, uh, to be a pro. And so to see Matt rule, I, I, I get on Matt rule a lot. Right. But one thing I can say about Matt Rule, and you can see it in Shaw Smith, and you can see it in Ian Thomas. Both of them had run-ins with the law, you know, over the last year. And honestly, I knew about them. I knew about Ian Thomas a year before it came out. Ian Thomas's situation happened last year, but I got people in Charlotte too. And they actually sent me the police report when it happened. And I just said, don't say a word because we don't know if it's going to make it out. Joe Person decided to release it after they gave him the extension this past year. And I was like, dog, Joe, that's kind of dirty, man. Like you held on to it all this time and waited till they gave him more money before you broke the news. Um, but either way, Matt Rule won't just get rid of a guy, you know, for being young and dumb. And so I like to see these guys, you know, really show their loyalty to him or their appreciation to him by playing well for him. You know, and that goes all the way up to Robbie Anderson, right? Matt Rule has a kind of guy, you know, but once he shows you his loyalty, these guys usually play for him and they defend him. And they seemingly they'll follow him wherever he goes, right? And so, uh, so out of all the things I'm critical about Matt Rule on, I will say that he is a good dude. Right. I, I, I wish he was a better offensive coordinator, something really specialized. But when it comes to taking care of his guys, um, he's really a good dude. And honestly, I mean, what he did for Robbie, you know, I, I happen to know a little bit about that, too, from a personal standpoint. Man, he, he really took care of Robbie Anderson in college. And um, and so that's why when Robbie came out and defended him last week, I tweeted out. I was like, look. Robbie's going to be loyal to Rue because Rue was loyal to him. Like, Rue went to bat for him, right? And that's why Robbie is a multimillionaire today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he didn't draft him out of college, but he brought him back to school so he could show that he deserved to be in the NFL. Um, and so now that Matt Rue brought him in, he gave him two deals. You can't expect Robbie Anderson to say something negative about Matt Rue. And you see who gave him the, the game ball, right? And so, um, so anyway, man, I just want to share that story. I, I still, I'm holding back the other Shia Smith story because it involves <laughs> Robbie. It hold, it involves Robbie Anderson too, um, but it's just about you know two guys who were dogs and the first time that they bought at each other. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I keep it at that. Okay, I keep uh, it at that. Well, uh, 
Curtis, did you get into the um, LaVisca Chenault question? No, go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to kind of get your guys' opinion on, on LaVisca. Obviously, he had seen the field for the first time. It was activated for the first time this past weekend. And, um, you know, he had the big drive. Everybody knows the 36-yard kick return and then the 67-yard catch and run where somehow he outran everybody. It didn't look like he was running very fast, but he was. Uh, and I think that's a kind of a, a constant with LaVisca. He doesn't look like he's moving fast, but he is really moving fast. So, um He's electric, obviously, and I think this is a guy that uh, needs to see the field more and be uh, involved more. So uh, what were your guys' first impressions of LaVisca? Curtis, we'll start with you. Get him involved. Yes. He is special. He gave that offense a spark when they didn't have it last week. He's a bigger Curtis Samuel, Debo Samuel-type-esque player. Move the ball around, get him up on reverses, put him in the backfield, throw him out on a drag route. I mean, the guy is a playmaker. I see why they traded for him. Get him the ball more. It's a crowded room, but he needs to be fed. The thing I would say about LaVisca is that he's exactly who I knew he was. Um, I, I like LaVisca coming out of college. Um, I thought when he went to Jacksonville, um, I, expected him to be a, I expected him to be a star. And, you know, obviously – you know, he went down to that failed organization and and I think he he really produced regardless of the narrative about him. You know, he had 600 yards and I think, what, five or six touchdowns in his rookie year. Um, he came back in his second year. He got 600 yards again, pretty much as the third option. Um, and he battled through injuries, you know, and, you know, when I saw the Jacksonville fans, you know, kind of dogging him, you know, once he gets traded, Panther fans got to realize that, you know, that's the MO of most fans, right? You know, if a guy underperformed, it'd be the same thing as, you know, if we got rid of Derrick Brown, you know, last year. Oh, uh, he's a bust, you know, like good luck with that, you know, type of deal. And then they get into a new environment, you know, with the with a a group of coaches who have a vision for him. And then you see that, you know, you see that guy flourish. Ben McAdoo was there when they drafted LaVisca. And so he was the offensive coordinator. I believe, or the QB coach. I think it might have been a QB coach yeah. um, in Jacksonville when they brought him in. So he knew the vision for LaVisca Chenault. And I, I imagine he was part of some of the, the scheming and the play designs to get him the ball. And so when they realized that LaVisca was on the block, they went out and got the guy that, you know, that McAdoo was probably having fun designing plays for in Jacksonville. The problem is, is that this wide receiver room is crowded and we don't have the type of QB at this point, you know, that's going to spread the ball around to five or six different guys. You know, yeah. it's just not set up that way. I want to see them put LaVisca at like the F tight end role to where he can be on the field. He's a big guy. He's 227 pounds, six foot one. He's not big as a, as a traditional tight end, but in obvious passing situations, whatever, you know, moving tight end formation you have where you might have um, Ian Thomas flexed out, put LaVisca in that role. If you're not going to have the tight end blocking and everybody knows that we're passing, put LaVisca in and run those routes that you would normally run with Ian Thomas. You know, that's that's how you can keep your three receivers on the field and you can have Visca on the field with them. You know, and so uh, 
So that's that's my vision for getting him on the field more. I do think he has to be on the field, you know, more. I would like to see him on the field probably more so than Shy Smith. Um, if I had to pick a spot, you know, because if you got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and LaVisca Chenault out there at all times, I think that's a more dangerous team. Um, you know, especially with CMC in the backfield. And so um I want to see those guys on the field at all times. I mean, regardless of what they do, it, I don't think defensive bats want to, want to tackle him. I just don't think they do. I think once he gets going, like, like you said, Bryce, he doesn't look like he's fast, but he is fast. And I think that 227 pounds coming at you with that four, five, four, six speed isn't something that you want to tackle one-on-one. No, not at all. And uh, another position group that I wanted to kind of give props to before we close up shop here was the offensive line, the um, ESPN offensive line of the week in Carolina, um, specifically a player that we've all dragged on yeah. um, Pat Elfline, the center um, PFF graded the fourth ranked center in the NFL right now, really kicking ass both in the pass game and the run game. Yeah. Uh, really just taking a hold of that center position and not letting even the, the coaches have a, a, a wimps of a thought of putting Bozeman in because Pat Elfline's been playing so well. So yeah. really want to give them props and it's, it's refreshing to see a, um, a, a, just a, a confident, uh, conducive, cohesive offensive line that really can just put their best tape on the field and, and protect the quarterback. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the, in the piggyback on, on what you're saying, F-Line is a guy that, yeah, we all been tough on him. I know I have been. Um, but I think when we first got F-Line, I said then that in his history, he's been a better center than a guard, right? I don't know why the Vikings drafted him. And then the, the year after that, they went out and got uh, Bradbury or whatever his name was. And they replaced him, right? And he wasn't a bad rookie center. Uh, F-Line wasn't. But they replaced him with who they, who they thought was a better center, I think, the year the year after. And they made him a left guard. And he didn't play well at guard. They shipped him off where he went. He ended up in, in New York. And he played left guard for them. And he, he wasn't a good left guard for the Jets. And so when we brought him in, I was like, of course, you don't expect him to be a good left guard for the, for the Panthers. You know, and so, um, but I said then, I was like, he's actually a better center than a guard. And. And so he didn't look bad to finish last season, actually. So this isn't like it's brand new for him. Um, I just think him having a full year to practice being in that position, um, his natural position going back to Ohio State, I just think he's just really comfortable as a center. And, and there's one thing, you know, for people to have an agenda, you know, against a guy um, and just to hope for them to fail. I just hope that we have a good team. And if F-Line is the best center, um, then it is what it is. I just got hyped for Bozeman because of what people told me about Bozeman. I really hadn't seen him play a lot, um, you know, or paid attention to him play. Um, so, you know, the fact that he's not playing, I just think the only thing that I hate just because I get kind of caught up in these guys' story, like the Bozeman family seems like a really cool family mm-hmm. and they seem to love Charlotte, right? <laughs> and so, you know, seeing, you know, Nikki Bozeman and, you know, the way that she's, you know, kind of gravitated towards the fans and embraced the city, you know, seeing the stuff they did with their foundation. You know, those kind of guys that you want around, you know, and, you know, and if he can play, 
you know, that's just, that other stuff is just the cherry on top. I fear that him being on a one-year deal, that we may not see who he actually is before you have to make a decision on it, right? And so for me, that's what I was kind of clamoring for a couple of weeks ago was just, are we going to see him play? Um, I don't have to see him play now that I think F-Line has proven that he deserves to be a center. Um, but I actually thought if F-Line was a center, then Bozeman might be the left guard. But then Christensen is balling, right? I think right now, maybe your weakest lineman, it could be, you know, either the, the rookie who's developing or the other right tackle who got paid. And I hate to say that. You know what I mean? It's one of them guys, though. Right. And 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 it's hard to I mean Moten is you know, he's he's solid, but you know, he's not perfect, you know, and no no guy is. You know, I'm just saying that it's a good problem to have a guy like Bozeman just on the bench. You know, yeah. like Carolina's deep enough to have a starting level guy on the bench. Last year we only had one guy that was even worthy of starting. And so, I mean, there is some improvement there with camping, and you know, in camping we trust, I guess. Yeah, and hats off to Fitter and the organization. They've turned around. I, I didn't think it was possible to turn down this turn around this offensive line as quickly as they did from last year. And I just can't believe they were mentioned on ESPN for that because <laughs> from where they were a year ago, it was damn near at the. It was 31, 32 in the league in hell for all for all of us watching. So, hats off to them for that. But I think we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah. JJ, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thank you for giving us a little bit more insight into your boy, Shy Smith. He needs to hang on to the damn ball. He does. He does. And, uh, <laughs> and return kicks yeah. when he's got a 15 yard cushion like he did last week. But look, but, <laughs> but, 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 hey, but check it out. So that was, it looked bad in real time, right? I was watching the game just like you guys. But, I hope that offers a little bit more context. Like he's just really focused on catching the ball. Yeah. And I mean, everybody expects, you know, a punt return to be like an easy thing. I'm telling you for him is not a natural thing. And so I think shy was like, Hey, ball, catch ball, screw running back, you know, a touchdown or even trying to get 15 to 20 yards. I just don't want to muff it. And so while y'all were complaining, no, I made the joke that he looked like Eric Erickson. <laughs> I mean, but 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 honestly, honestly no, I get it. I mean, if you ain't fumbling, I I'm more the uh, the passive on that one. But yeah, I just yeah, but, had to but, make but that's joke. that's what you should expect. Like, <laughs> don't expect like dynamic punt returns from Shaw Smith as a punt returner. Expect what we got from Erickson, a guy who could just secure the punt. You know, if you got five or ten yard return out of him. You know, then you were like, man, that's decent. <laughs> yeah. Shaw Smith can do more things because he's younger and, and probably faster than Erickson was with, with us. But he's right now focused on not muffing it. And um, and so, yeah, I was like, ah, yeah, you probably should return that shot. But good, good job catching it. You know, and so – but I'm more like a dad with him than I am a fan. And so, so yeah, I, I do take it hard when I see the, you know, the negative commentary. But he's a football player too, you know, and so – if you drop a ball, then I expect all the heat from that. Um, but yeah, I but I want him to win. But I don't need to see him playing over somebody who's better than him. If another guy deserves to be on the field and he makes us better, 
Um, but hopefully we can get to the point as an offense where everybody can get snaps, you know, if they can do something with those snaps and um and and we see the best version of the Panthers. The crazy part, guys, is like what you said, Bryce. I don't know if we like one of the best defenses in the league, but we're good enough to win. The offense needs to come around and we need to play complimentary football for the we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen both the offense and the defense clicking in any game at the same time yet. If we can get that, you know, for a string of games, um, you know, we lost some games that to teams that we should have beat. I think we're going to have the opportunity to beat some teams that we probably weren't expected to beat. Yeah. You know, like why can't we be that team, right? And so I'm, I'm, I, I want to see you know the guys pull it together and. And, and, and make that happen. And I think we will. I think they're going to surprise some people. I don't know if it'll be playoff worthy or anything like that, but we won't be in a position to pick Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Like that's not happening. Yeah. Like this team is better than that. Yeah. I want to end. I'll end on this because I wanted to mention it. We have not mentioned it and it deserves to be mentioned. I talked about it a little bit last week as well. Special teams, huge shout out. Got a, Field goal block this week. It hasn't happened in a long time. Johnny Hecker had a hell of a game punting. 59-yard punt was his longest. Net was a 44. He had four punts within the 20. I mean, he just he played lights out. And then, obviously, Eddie Pinheiro had a hell of a game. That guy has not missed a kick yet. He is playing really well as well. So, hats off to the special teams. Chris Tabor's got that, that entire – facet of the game playing really well right now and that's something that Matt Rule talked about in the offseason that needed to improve and be a, a staple of this team so hats off to them but again JJ thank you for coming on and thank everyone for listening to Panthers on Tap podcast you can catch all of our episodes every week wherever you get your podcast go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news and as always 